This week on Telltales, a story about a first date and giving alcohol to minors. Telltales is a high noon toe wrestling club who gets together every few days as their nurses permit to prove their worth on the field of battle. And also, we write fiction stories. Josh didn't like his mustache at first, but it's grown on him. I still hate it, though. David is the model of responsibility and has absolutely never eaten a burrito larger than his head twice. Chris enjoys camping because he was raised by wolves. I know, because of the fleas. Today's tale was written by Josh Carroll, and it is read by Chris Dumoulin. It's called The Realist and the Raven. So pour yourself a cup of coffee and settle in while we tell you a story. I don't believe in realists, said Lila as she stirred her coffee. What do you mean, asked Joe. He laughed nervously and tried not to stare at the raven tattoo on her slender neck. I'm a realist. You saying I don't exist? No. I'm saying that everyone who claims to be a realist is either, she held up one finger, an optimist who worries too much, or, she held up a second finger, a pessimist who doesn't like the label. Lila swept a lock of black hair from in front of her eyes and stared out the window at the birds as they pecked at crumbs in the sunshine. They're all liars, you know, those so-called realists. The worst sort, too, because they're lying to themselves. So I'm a liar? Joe laughed. He hadn't expected that, not on a blind date. She was sassy, and he liked it. If the flaming pants fit, Lila flashed a flirtatious smile and sipped her coffee. Oh, I see how it is. Joe smiled back at her. What about you, Miss Honesty? Optimist or pessimist? Neither. Joe bit his lip. She was cute. Really cute. Hard-headed and opinionated and confusing for sure, but cute. And she was becoming more interesting with every single word. What's that supposed to mean, he asked, trying to sound more interested in what she had to say than how she looked saying it. It means that things are never as simple as they seem. Optimists expect things to turn out for the best. Pessimists expect the worst. But good and bad are not mutually exclusive outcomes if for any given situation, you know. I've learned to expect some of both. And how is that different from being a realist? I told you. Realists are liars, and I'm not. She turned her eyes to the window again. Okay, I'll bite. Explain it to me. Joe leaned back in his chair and tried to look confident. Girls like confidence. He blew on his still-too-hot latte. Lila glanced his way for a moment, and then sighed and turned around. You see that woman over there? I'd peg her as a middle-aged mom of two. Minivan, little house in the suburbs, credit cards, and a mortgage. What if she won the lottery tonight? You would say that's a good thing, right? She could pay off her debts, buy a new house, and still have enough left to quit her day job and send her kids to college. But that's just the surface. A month from now, she'll probably have a mental breakdown. She'll collapse under the weight of all the taxes and the investments and the interest rates and charities and money fights with her husband and all the newly discovered relatives who had quietly ignored her until now but have suddenly crawled out of their holes with sob stories and guilt trips. Right now, she's a good mom doing her best with what she has. In a month, 
She's headed for divorce and questioning whether or not she's even a good person. So you tell me, realist. Is it ultimately good or bad if she wins the lottery? Now you just sound like a pessimist, said Joe in a voice that was almost but not quite as charming as he had intended. Oh no, 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 she sang. A pessimist would only point out the negative. An optimist would only focus on the positive. A so-called realist would talk about the inevitability of taxes and cite statistics and try to avoid making a judgment call either way, though she would secretly expect one or the other because, like I said, liar. I, on the other hand, see both the positive and the negative. And you, she smiled and looked into his eyes, well, you sound like a closet optimist who's trying to impress a girl. She stirred her coffee. Sorry if I offended your happy little worldview. Maybe, Joe said through a stupid grin. Or maybe I'm a true realist who recognizes a pessimist when he sees one. He winked at her and immediately regretted it. Lila smirked. All right then, realist. I'll give you another example. And this one is true. Joe sipped his latte. It scalded his lips, but he forced back the pain. Oh, I'm all ears, he said, and wiped the hot foam from his lips. When I was seven years old, Lila said, I moved in with my grandma here in Alabama, and for a long time, I could hardly sleep because of the ghost who lived under my bed. Ghost? Joe almost choked. Yes, her tone was nonchalant. I could hear him tap the wooden floorboards and wheeze each night when I was trying to fall asleep. Sometimes he would whisper my name in a weird, rattly voice. Then I would cry, and I'd run to my grandma and tell her what I'd heard, and she'd say, Oh, child, your sense of done gone run off with you. Ain't nothing under your bed but the bottom of a creaky old house. Now go to sleep and pay it no mind. So I'd go back to bed and sing myself to sleep to cover the sounds. But even then, the ghost wouldn't leave me alone. I would see him in my dreams. He had pale, paper-white skin and black eyes and fingernails that curled around and around in long yellow-brown spirals. Uh, that's freaky, said Joe. Man up, realist. You aren't scared, are you? asked Lila. Me? (laughs) Joe forced a chuckle and took another sip. Lila took a deep breath and continued, directing her words towards the window. Well, I was. Back then. I was just a little girl, you know, and I was scared out of my mind that the thing under the bed was going to hurt me or eat me or something. So one night at bedtime, I asked my grandma if I could have a drink of water before I went to bed. I was stalling because I was scared, and she knew it, of course. Grandma always knew. She told me to wait while she went to the kitchen to get me something to drink. A minute later, she returned with a little glass and said, Tell me, child, is this cup of water half full or half empty? I thought about it for a minute, and then I said, Well, it's both. I guess I was trying to be a realist. But she shook her head and said, Nope, it ain't neither. You can call the water half full or half empty or whatever you want, but it don't matter because this ain't water. It's old Pete's handmade magical moonshine, and a half a glass of this is more than anybody should drink at once. She held the glass out so I could smell it. It was awful. And she said, it won't help you thirst, but that's all right, because you ain't really thirsty. It will help you sleep, though. And if old hardhead Pete wasn't talking with his tongue out of his shoe, it'll clear your mind so you won't have any more of them silly dreams. Joe covered a snicker with a cough. <clears throat> Wait a minute, he said. Your grandmother gave you moonshine? Didn't you say you were seven? He flashed what he hoped was a cute smile. Lila nodded. Magical moonshine. But that's not the point, don't you see? I was trying to be smart, and I had it all wrong. Grandma saw right through me. She said, Things ain't never what they seem, child. Remember that. And I've always tried to remember it. So far, Grandma's been right most of the time. She took another sip of coffee and leaned back in her chair. Oh, no, you don't, said Joe. Don't you leave me hanging like that. Did you drink it? 
The moonshine? Yeah, I drank it, Lila confirmed. Joe laughed. I can't believe it. She'd be arrested for that now. Go ahead and call the cops then, said Lila. She died five years ago, so I doubt they'll bother her. Anyway, it was only a couple of sips. Nasty stuff. Made me cough, but I lived. And I fell right to sleep, just as Grandma said I would. And then, Joe started. No way, don't tell me. After that, you stopped having the dreams, and you realized that there was never a ghost under your bed in the first place. It was just another case of something that wasn't what it seemed. No, said Lila, quiet and slow. There really was a ghost under my bed, and I did dream about him that night, but it was different than before. Again, Lila sat back and stared out the window as if she was finished with her story. Seriously, said Joe, that's where you're stopping? Lila sighed and looked at him for a long time. All right, Joe, she said at last. You seem nice enough. I'll tell you the rest, if you promise to keep it a secret. Joe held up two fingers. Scout's honor. Okay. Well, I dreamed about him again, the ghost. This time, though, he wasn't a pale-skinned, black-eyed monster. He was a little boy, about my age. He had shiny black hair and muddy skin and eyes that seemed to burn with fire. He told me his name was Sleeping Raven and that he had died of a fever long ago. He had been at peace for years, but then... Somebody went and built my grandma's house on top of his grave and disturbed him. He said that he couldn't rest as long as our house stood, and he promised that if I would help him, he would send a raven spirit to watch over me for the rest of my life. But that was just a dream. I don't think so. So you really believe that a ghost spoke to you? Lila nodded. You're messing with me, right? asked Joe. No, said Lila. I told you the moonshine was magical. There was no hint of irony or humor on her face. No, that's not, that's not what I, well, it's just, Joe stammered. If you don't believe in realists, how can you believe in ghosts and spirits and all of that? She eyed him with an expression of distrust. Well, I've met a ghost, she said. I've never met a realist. Her tone unsettled him. She was serious. Joe fidgeted with his mug. All right, fair enough, he said, feeling apprehensive. Lila was really cute, but now he worried that she was also crazy. Not the fun sort of crazy that's mostly an act, but the real deal. The kind that meant he should keep his distance. So, what did you do? He asked. I set fire to the house, she said, and took a long drink of coffee. You what? This was too much. She had to be joking. Joe waited for the punchline, but it didn't come. Lila's face was somber. Her black eyes were distant. I turned on the gas to all the burners on our stove and left a candle burning on the kitchen table the next morning when we went to church. By the time we got home, a few blackened beams and a pile of smoldering ash were all that was left of our house. I confessed to the police, but I was too young for juvie, so they let me go. Of course, the insurance wouldn't pay a dime since a member of the family household had intentionally set the fire, so we lived out of Grandma's car for a few years. She never forgave me, but we got by. Wow was all Joe managed to say. For a moment, they were both silent, staring through the window, unable to meet each other's eyes. Outside, a pair of sparrows fought over a discarded french fry. No, Lila whispered suddenly. He won't tell. I trust him. Joe looked at her, confused. Lila was gazing at the floor beside her, near her feet, shaking her head and waving a hand as if to shoo something away. What was that? asked Joe. Lila sat up straight and looked at him. Oh, uh, nothing, she said. Listen, Joe, you won't tell anybody what I said, will you? Joe glanced around the coffee shop. 
You mean about the fire and, and sleeping raven, she finished for him. That's, that's our secret, right? You promised. Yeah, sure, but who are you talking to? Talking to? She said inside. Oh, I wasn't talking to anybody. Just you, Joe. She glanced back at the floor and shook her head quickly, eyes wide and jaw clenched, and then smiled up sweetly at Joe. Joe leaned to one side and glanced around the table at the floor beside Lila. Nothing was there. Lila, asked Joe, is everything okay? Of course, she said and kicked at the floor without taking her eyes off of Joe. She took his hands in hers and said, You're sweet. It's nice to have a friend who can... Her eyes shot back to the spot on the floor. Ouch! Stop that! Joe glanced around the table again. Still nothing. He cleared his throat and pulled his hands away from hers. You know what, he said and stood. I should probably go. No, said Lila, jumping to her feet. Don't go. She smiled that sweet smile again. Stay. Yeah, I really should. Lila interrupted his lie. You won't tell, Joe. You promised me. Say you won't. She touched his arm. I I, I won't, he stammered. Of course he was going to tell. This was gold. Lila's eyes darted between Joe and the invisible whatever it was on the floor. Yes, she whispered, her eyes flitting. Yes, that'll work. Everything will work out. A little good, a little bad. Then looking at Joe's face, she said, It'll be fine, Joe. In the end. I'm sorry, he asked. What's going to be fine? Lila took a deep breath. You know what? You stay, Joe. No need to make up an excuse. No need to lie anymore. I'll go. Thank you for the coffee, Mr. Realist. I had a good time. She glanced at the floor, smiled, took her coffee from the table, and left without another word, without even looking back. Joe watched her leave. His head reeled. He stared at the empty chair across the table and then at the place at the floor where Lila had seen and spoken to and kicked something. For an instant, Joe thought he saw a long black feather on the tile. Then he blinked and there was nothing. He sat and took another sip of his latte. I guess she chose the raven, he whispered to himself. Lila's voice echoed in his mind. He'll be fine, Joe. In the end... True story, I grew up in Alabama, and I will now sing for you the state anthem for Alabama. Can't top that. Okay, go for it. Alabama, Alabama, we will lay be true to thee. From thy southern shores where groweth by the sea the orange tree, to thy northern vale where floweth deep and blue thy mm. Tennessee. Alabama, Alabama, we will A, be true to thee. We will what? A, be true to thee. That's, that's not a word. We will A, be true to thee? It is a word. What do you mean that's a word? How is that a word? A-Y-E, as in yes. Isn't that I? I? I'm going with I. It's A from Alabama. <laughs> <laughs> Look, right, I don't pronounce things to you, Grid. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> Join us next week for yet another reason to distrust electronics. This has been a production of The Telltales. 
Copyright for today's story belongs to Josh Carroll, so don't steal it or he'll come to your house in the middle of the night and scream Edgar Allan Poe poems at you until you're so sleep-deprived that you give his story back and apologize. The theme music is by the Flat Creek Kings. Catering this week was provided by Tom's Tacos. Tom's Tacos take terrible tacos to task. Try Tom's Terrific Tacos today. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please share on social media and leave us a review on iTunes. You can find us at telltaleswriting.com, on Facebook by searching Telltales Writing, on Twitter at at telltaleswrite, or on Instagram at telltaleswriting. You can find all of that and more at our website, telltaleswriting.com. If you did not enjoy this podcast, please leave your comments on our MySpace page. The moral of today's story is... Don't set up first dates at coffee shops. It's just so expected. Also, if the other person talks to themselves and believes in ghosts, maybe swipe left and choose the one with the cat in their profile pic.